2: Welcome to a new week and a new episode of the Baseball Insiders. I am Adam Weiner, belongs to the fansite, it's MLB Insider, Robert Murray. And if you told me a week ago, Monday's episode would be about Jason Dominguez's UCL tear and have an interview with Jose Altuve, courtesy of Two Hoots, Hard Ice Tea. I don't know what I'd tell you, but Robert, that is the world we're living in. Welcome to the show. Go Birds. Hopefully, happier days are around the corner.
3: Yeah, well, very happy victory Monday for the Eagles. Uh, I am sorry about your Giants, by the way. That was why? What uh, happened? <laughs> that wasn't too. That was brutal. Uh, I I resisted the urge to text you during that game, but uh, everything. Really, yeah, I'll tell you, it was a great weekend. A lot of stuff happening in baseball. Uh, not great that Jason Dominguez has a torn UCL, but good news is he'll be back um, at the start of next year, like shortly thereafter. But other than that, man, I'm great. How are you? Good to be here
4: with you.
2: Good to be here with you as well. Yeah, I would just say yesterday is sort of an all-time kick in the pants, uh, but we'll get over it. We always will. We always do. Uh, I'm not sure if what the New York Giants did was technically football, so I'm not sure if their football season has even started yet. But I guess we'll see what happens next week when they face the Arizona Cardinals. On today's show, we are going to be talking about the trade deadline a month plus in the rear view, trying to figure out if any of these trades actually helped. The teams that made them, it's its worth wondering, and that's sort of what inspired my look back. Uh, perhaps most importantly, though, we are going to be talking to Jose Altuve, a mega, uh mega face-of-baseball-type superstar, all-star, and the kind of player who is probably ticketed for the Hall of Fame someday, it would seem, uh, courtesy of Two Hoots Hard ice tea. We'll get into all that in the middle of the show. I'll toss it. To Jose, uh, plus obviously the Jason Dominguez injury, Brian Cashman showing up overseas to woo a Japanese free agent. Very confusing and interesting, and the minute possibility of a Mike Trout trade. All that and more sponsored today by Bet365. We have an awesome sports betting promo for new users on the platform. All you have to do is deposit $10, place a wager of $1 or more on any sport. You will instantly receive $200 added to your account in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. All you have to do is use the code BASEBALLIN at signup. Right there on the screen, by using that code BASEBALLIN, you not only receive the $200 in bonuses, you will also be directly supporting the podcast and being the fuel for great things like Jose Altuve dropping by in the middle of a random Monday episode. So if you have not signed up for Bet365, join with the code BASEBALLIN and place that first bet. This offer is available for new customers who are 21-plus physically present in most legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. And again, if you want to get in early, if you want to be able to ask us questions between shows, if you've got questions for Jose Altuve and the future guests of this show, the best way to do that early is by getting in on the Baseball Insiders Discord. Robert will continue to provide you the link. All you have to do is become a YouTube member, follow the steps, follow just 99 cents a month and you get early access to questions for us and you get to start the conversation first now that we've got all that out of the way let's have some fun actually
3: actually i like to even further plug the discord because we we got to plug it um it was a couple weeks ago i had caught wind that a Pete Crow armstrong call up was extremely likely and i teased it in the discord and that is something that I can uh, I can further provide or that I can do more of in the future. And if you guys do that, then I'll be you'll have every opportunity to know before the entire world does.
2: Yeah, Pete Crow Armstrong we had in the in the rice cooker. Uh, Kyle Harrison we were waiting on for a while, and the people in the Discord got that one first as well. Of course, it all translates to the show. Uh, you know, we we the show. The live show is electric, but if you're in the Discord, you get to have the live show at your fingertips. Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, and Thursday after the show never stops. So we really do hope that you join us there. And uh, this year we uh, had a long discussion, months long, uh, heading up to the trade deadline. So many of these episodes were about the trade deadline. We were prognosticating. We were sending players to various destinations. And in mid-September, I'm not sure if any of those players who actually got traded are, are helping their new teams all that much this exercise of trying to decide the trade deadline additions who've made the biggest difference in 2023, it mostly feels like players who've made a negative difference. Uh, I try to p- pull up the carpet a little bit and go below the surface, but outside of Justin Verlander, who is an obvious like, oh, the Astros were probably a contender beforehand. Now they've got Justin Verlander. And uh, is there anybody else that springs to mind who you're like, that also was a really positive move?
3: Yeah. I'll tell you like the one that kind of was like an afterthought trade because it was a salary dump, um, by, by the guardians kind of was, was Josh bell and he was really bad in Cleveland. And as soon as he ended up getting traded to Miami, like he started performing really well. And it's, it was weird because he's always been known as more of a first half guy rather than a second half because he'd tail off in the second half, but it's basically been like the reverse and, Um, now you got to actually like have a conversation about like what are the Marlins going to do next year when they have to, uh, or is it a player option? Uh, I don't know if what necessarily what the option is, but like it's, um, he's positioning himself either to have that option picked up or he's positioning himself for possibly like a, a multi-year deal in free agency. Um, And I don't know necessarily what's going to happen, but um, the fact that he is in the conversation for one of the more impactful additions of the trade deadline was not something I foresaw at all. And the talk of the trade deadline was Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty, like players like that. Giolito is already on his second team since the trade deadline, and his ERA in, in Anaheim was hovering around seven. In Cleveland, is over 10. Um, and then Flaherty, he's got what? A 716 ERA in Baltimore. And. That is just further enhancing the conversation that the that the Orioles should have done more at the deadline, rather than just do or add one starting pitcher than one relief relief. In the moment, I thought they should have done more, and now a month removed from it, it's become increasingly evident that they needed to do more.
2: Flaherty had a tough time at Fenway Park again this weekend in a game the Orioles ultimately won, but very little thanks to Flaherty, and that sort of did inspire me to have this thought process, yeah. like. Flaherty, you know, if he's not the worst, it's only because of Giolito. There were certainly a number of players who changed hands who were supposed to impact this pennant race who absolutely haven't. Max Scherzer's surface numbers in Texas have been just fine. You take them if you're reading the baseball reference page alone, but he has wilted as the team has tripped downward off a cliff. They are still out of the playoff picture. They were stunningly out of the playoff picture last week when we when we convened and it's only gotten they beat the A's a few times but they're still not in the field and Mm -hmm. he had his worst start of the of his Rangers career against the Astros the other day in a game they absolutely needed um when I'm trying to find players whose fits have actually worked it's very limited it's it's Bell like you said who does have a player option for next year you wonder if he'll accept or decline that Tommy Pham, who's hitting in the 240s with a representative solid OPS, he's come up clutch a number of times for the Diamondbacks as Arizona has nabbed that final playoff spot for now. So I'd say he hasn't been exceptional, but it's worked. Jake Berger has been excellent, but most of us aren't – Yeah, a lot of us aren't paying attention to the Marlins, maybe still should be. 35 games in Miami, 295 average, 849 OPS – 43 mm-hmm. points higher than it was in Chicago, up to a 129 OPS plus in the small sample size. But outside of those guys, kind of a dud. And, and so I asked us to think about the winners. And like you pointed out, it's mostly the GMs who got rid of assets, not the ones who took them on.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it has been the teams that have sold at the deadline. And like you kind of could foresee that coming because it was a seller's market. And the teams that were going to sell these guys – we're going to end up getting a haul in return just because of the limited options on the, on the market. But like, if you look at a team that did really well at the deadline, I think the Chicago white Sox deserve a lot of credit because they traded Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez to the angels and got two of their top prospects. And they basically got those prospects who are controllable for years to come for what was essentially like three weeks of Giolito and Lopez, which is still to me absolutely mind boggling. I can't, I can't believe the angels are in that kind of position. Um, I mean, I can, because it just, everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Um, but that was a really strong deadline and especially that trade for the, uh, for the white Sox. And then if you look at a team like the Mets, they were in a similar situation And Steve Cohen has the money that most of these, well, he's got more money than any of these owners. And he flexed it at the deadline by eating a lot of these big contracts in order to maximize the return. And the Verlander trade, uh, they were able to get a a good haul there. Scherzer as well. It was really important to the Mets that um, they restock their farm system and especially their pitching, their young pitching, because they want to build from within and make make this sustainable. And they, they achieved that. And I mean, especially with Scherzer, like the results, I mean, he, he's performed well, but like that starting against the Astros was, um, was a big reason why the Rangers got him, and he did not live up to it in that moment.
2: That's a sweep that you have to avert and you know, Max Scherzer's walking into that game going, don't worry guys. I've been here before. It's all on my shoulders. And could not have gone worse. He's under the gun. I mean, you know, the game's already over. Like a couple of batters into the ball game. Um, oh, absolutely.
3: Oh, sorry. You, I think you cut out there for a second.
2: Um, oh, and I was just bloviating about Max Scherzer not being very good. But
3: <laughs> no, no, and you're spot on with that. And like, in mean, Canyon Swartz, like, I, Pirates, they they did. I mean, they didn't do much. Uh, I mean, they obviously sold Rich Hill and um, and G-Man Choi. It was it was funny. It was after. After that trade was made, I had somebody um, who was pretty well connected with um, things that are going on in Pittsburgh. And they said that G-Man Choi had never been better in his career in terms of like um, just his mechanics and his overall um, his overall just feel. And they predicted a breakout when he went to San Diego. Obviously, that, that has not worked out. Uh, Rich Hill has is, is also struggled there in what has been an extremely disappointing um season in san diego but that being said i think the pirates for what they ended up trying to sell at the deadline they did relatively well um and they ended up landing a few prospects in that deal that could end up becoming um valuable pieces in the not so distant future
2: before we welcome a special guest in here i think since we're talking about the angels disaster and i don't think this is going to be as long a conversation as some people may have thought it's probably worth touching on now You said earlier everything that's gone wrong or that could go wrong has gone wrong, and that led to the natural endpoint this weekend of Bob Nightingale saying the Angels have basically said, if Mike Trout requests a trade, we will explore the possibilities. He's under contract for a ton of money. That does put the onus on him. Still sort of feels like a lot of things would have to lock up in step for that to become a possibility, but I just wanted to ask you point blank. How are you feeling taking the temperature of the room on an off-season Mike Trout trade as of September 11th Monday on this beautiful day?
3: I would so I I asked about this like right after that report was 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 published and the feeling that I got was that a trade involving Mike Trout ranged from anywhere from un- unlikely to highly highly unlikely and trading Trout's salary is going to end up being an issue um and I, I it's there's not many teams that can take on that kind of a salary. And and obviously he's got a no trade clause, so he'd have to approve that as well. Like the obvious fit would be Philadelphia because he's he's a born in that area, obviously a huge Eagles fan. Um and is super connected in Philly, but that there's just I don't know if the Phillies have the, the payroll flexibility to end up doing something like that. Um but I, I think it just and the other other part of this too is that Artie Moreno was never, like, there was never a real shot he was going to be the owner who moved Shohei Otani. Is there, a, is there a real shot that he moves a guy like Mike Trout? I don't think so. I'm Trout's a really loyal guy, so I have a hard time seeing him demanding a trade unless ownership tells him that it's going to be a multi-year rebuild. And everything we've seen from Artie Moreno in the, in the past suggests that's not going to happen because he, he wants to compete he does not rebuild. He's never rebuilt in his career. Although this year, it's been different, especially after the deadline. Um, but I, I would not, I don't think a Mike Trout trade is, is realistic. I don't think it's likely. I think it's something that's going to be talked about in the rumor mill for sure. But I think he's going to be in Anaheim next year.
2: We know he'll be in Philadelphia or South Jersey someday. I guess it's just a matter of whether he's 44 and retired or it's next year. But it probably is going to be post-retirement.
3: Yeah, I would. Either that or it's gonna, he's just going to be in Philadelphia for the Eagles games. And yeah, I think, yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't foresee him ending up anywhere other than Anaheim next year. Um, although maybe he's at the Thursday game for Philly. I don't know what their schedule is. I don't know if they have an off day that day. So who knows? But um, yeah, he, he trouts. I just don't see a trade happening there.
2: No my leading theory of why he and the angels never make it to the playoffs or succeed in October is because he wants to free up his schedule for the Eagles games and it's just like it's a form of personal leadership it's like i'm not gonna i don't I don't believe in this team I'm not gonna lead him to the playoffs I gotta watch the birds so he he just does
3: no exactly I'll tell you I'd want to watch the birds too like Yeah, frick. yeah I mean well it's not sunday that was that was rough that was I was on top of the world when they were up sixteen nothing and then' all of a sudden uh Oh, I could. Uh, this is not an Eagles podcast. This is a baseball podcast. I got to remember that. Um, but man, I'll tell you, um, you know, football season is back when you're just extremely disappointed after a win. Um, I'm, it's, it's, it's incredible. I uh, go birds. Okay, I got to stop talking football. <laughs>
2: Well, you had to sweat it out yesterday. It got dicey. Talking about somebody who's made me sweat it out many, many times over the past six years of baseball. Houston Astros icon, eight time All Star, Jose Altuve, spoke to us courtesy of Two Hoots Hard Tea, a product that I now, uh, if it's got the Jose Altuve seal of approval, I probably have to go ahead and try it i don't have a hard t brand uh personally so i'm a free agent there jose altuve talks to us a little bit about free agency and the best moments of his career and its highlights so far and still to come so please everybody enjoy astro's icon jose altuve and we'll be here after the interview to keep taking questions and address a couple more topics like the depressing jason dominguez news are here on the baseball insiders i'm adam weiner alongside side it's mlb insider robert murray and we are joined today by extremely special guest jose altuve eight-time all-star two-time world series champion here on behalf of two hoots hard iced tea which is hitting shelves around houston jose first of all thank you for joining us i'd love to know more about your partnership with two hoots are you a, a big hard tea guy yeah, I
4: am. I am a big hearty guy and I try the product. I fell in love, you know, with it. And, you know, I'm so excited to partner with with the hood.
2: You're hosting a T ball classic, uh, we hear. What else? Uh, what's going on with that? How excited are you for that event?
4: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to go there and, you know, give some pointers, advice to to the fans, you know, they can also sign up and go and watch the game. So, you know, it's going to be a great mid and grid, and, you know, be starting the game off and, you know, just go from there.
2: Well, Robert and I have plenty to ask you about your amazing career, but we might as well start with this past week because you, you just hit four home runs in a row in consecutive at-bats against Texas three and one game, four and four straight innings between homers three and four. Did you know that you really had an opportunity to do something special or were you just kind of so locked in?
4: I think I was uh, locked in in the game. You know, we, as a team, we understood before going to Dallas that these games were really important for us. So, you know, obviously it feels really good to hit homers <laughs> many times in a row. But at the same time, you know, you're, you know, helping your team. So that's kind of like the priority out there. And, you know, we I feel happy about the way we play there.
3: So I got to ask, did you have any idea that a Verlander trade was like a possibility or were you just like completely surprised?
4: Really small idea, you know, and it was getting bigger and bigger and until it really happens, you know, and obviously he makes our team better. He's a great leader in the clubhouse and as a team, we're really happy that he's with uh,
2: the Houston Astros now. You guys are locked into a tough fight with the Mariners and Rangers down the stretch. You just did a lot of damage in Dallas, like you said. Um, What do you feel gives the Astros the edge in that race? And how do you sort of channel the momentum from a tough, close race into the playoffs? Do you feel like you have to get tested first in order to be playoff ready?
4: Uh, Maybe, you know, I think we... Went to Dallas and we already felt the playoffs atmosphere and, you know, obviously they, you know, the stadium was, you know, sold out and, you know, the Rangers playing the way they've been playing all year. Then the fact that we know, like I said, that these games were really important, it gave us, you know, uh, some motivation and definitely were like a playoff atmosphere for us.
3: Yeah. So at the end of the 2024 season, your contract is set to expire and you'd be a free agent. Have you had any conversations with the Astros about a new
2: deal?
4: No, nothing. No?
2: No. No. Okay. well, we'll certainly keep our eyes peeled on that, especially as you uh, head towards the postseason yet again. Uh, Last week, you also you made some more Astros history. You hit for the first Astros cycle since Brandon Barnes back in 2013. An amazing name to hear for all the Immaculate Grid players out there. Uh, What did that honor mean to you? What did it mean to do it at Fenway Park, too, in front of all those fans with all that history?
4: Uh, I think obviously cycle is the really hard to do. Uh, my friend uh, Brandon Burns did it ten years ago, so that's something that doesn't really happen too often. And I was happy to do it, you know, especially because we won that game. And it seems like from now on every game is huge and really important for us. And you know, I I know a few years ago, I think twenty sixteen, I was close to make. Uh, the cycle happened and then I fell and, you know, it was kind of like a mess, but I was really happy to, to actually do it this time.
2: Did you uh, hear from Brandon Barnes at all after that happened? Yes. He, uh, he sent me a text
4: and, you know, he was, he was happy. Awesome. Yeah.
3: And so you had an injury in the world baseball classic that kind of like was a little bit of a speed bump for you, but you have returned as strong as ever. Um, like what allowed you to return so quickly and so effectively?
4: Yeah, obviously, like you said, uh, I broke my thumb in the WBC. It was kind of like a, a little complicated uh, yeah. surgery, but then I, you know, get back to the team a little sooner than what, you know, I was expecting. And you know, it took me some time. Still, even when I came back to think, it took me some time to get in shape. You know, my body ready. Obviously, my thumb was feeling good, but you know, since I missed so much time, it was it was kind of like a process to every day to do things to get better and and stay in a good shape and feel 100% like I feel right now. Thanks God. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of hard work by the medical staff, by you know, the coaches. Everybody really helping me to to get to the point i am right now where i feel really good
3: yeah you, wait you said it, it was a complicated surgery complicated in, in like what way
4: oh uh, you know i i think i might come broke in four pieces so it's kind of like you know a oh, little geez. yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> that sounds painful um but like i gotta ask would you play in the world baseball classic again or was that that, that kind of scary a little bit <laughs>
4: I think it's
3: too
4: early to ask me that. <laughs> okay, I, I, I had to ask. Had to ask.
2: <laughs> and we accept your answer. Yeah, we we get it. Um, you know, you you do a lot of great WBC memories, though. You you played with your fellow Venezuelan icon Miguel Cabrera back in 2017. Uh, he's currently enjoying his retirement tour. I'd I'd love to know, you know, what you've learned from him over the years. And, you know, was he somebody who inspired you growing up? Because he's been, you know, a World Series hero all the way back in 2003. Like, is that someone you looked up to and now you get to share that stage with them? Yeah, no, definitely. Miguel Cabrera,
4: he is, you know, every single Venezuelan player hero. You know, as a kid, you know, we all looked up uh, to him. We grew up watching him play and the fact that I got to the big list. 13 years ago, and I called him for help to become a better here. And he was always there giving me, you know, advices and telling me how to hit the ball and how I was, you know, better approach against whoever was throwing that night it means a lot to me. We got to, we developed a, a great relationship and we're still in touch a lot. And we just went there and played. And it happens that my, the last bat that I, you know, watched him, hit ever it was a homer so you know that was you know uh, of course you don't want any guy to hit a homer against your team and your pitcher but it was now that it happens it was a cool thing for me to
2: to see well he just uh left yankee stadium he just played there for the final time you love to play yankee stadium uh and so i feel like i i'd love to ask you know when those fans you know when they boo when they get intense it seems like you try even a little bit harder to destroy them and make them hurt. Uh, is, is that something that you feel tangibly or do you, is an at bat at Yankee stadium, just like any other at bat for you?
4: Yeah, it's like any other bat. I go everywhere, you know, even here in Houston, I do a lot of work before the game to be, you know, ready for, for my first at bat. And it's just, it doesn't matter where we would really go. It can be, Boston, Kansas City, Detroit, the Yankees. We just, as a team, we get our motivation from inside the clubhouse, cool from each other. And we just go there and play the game.
3: So I got to ask, what's your favorite city to play in on the road? And like your favorite place to like interact with fans?
4: Uh, You know, I like Boston a lot. Uh, playing there, getting, you know, they're so close to the on-deck circle that you can talk to some kids, you know, about whatever. And... You know, I think New York is a great city to go out and have dinners. And, you know, Arizona is a big ballpark and you see the ball good, So there is a few stadiums that I'd like to go and, and play.
3: So do you have a favorite fan interaction
4: yeah. at all or no? Yeah, I think, you know, when the when little kids go and give you a fist bump, those are, those are good, you know. Yeah,
3: because I saw you also say that somebody offered you like a um, his wife for a bat or something like that. Is yeah. that...
4: Is that you, you read a lot of uh, crazy and good stuff, and you know uh, understands, and you know guys trying to trade, you know their, you know shoes or hats or for a bat. They do whatever for a bat. I will do the same thing. I was the same way. I I I used to like go to the you know ballparks back home in winter ball in Venezuela, acts you know player for a bat for a ball for a hat I think those are good things to do not
2: for sure I'd rather have one of your bats than some random guy's shoes so I think it's a good (laughs) trade that you're keeping them um now you are obviously one of the best pure hitters of this generation that we have seen but you are also one of the clutchest and I think a lot of people will say like hey clutch isn't real you know good hitting is good hitting but do you feel like clutch is a mindset or again, do you just feel like, Hey, I'm a good hitter, no matter what inning it is. I think
4: just, it just happens. You have to be in the grade, uh, in the, in the opportunity in the scenario to hit those big, uh, Higgs and big moments. But I think you know, anybody for me can do it. If they go at that and they keep their, the same approach of a, just a normal game.
3: Yeah, and I'm I'm curious for you. So you've been around some really good managers in your career, AJ Hinch and now Dusty Baker. Um, what is it about Dusty's style that's kind of helped you guys like retain or still be as successful as you were even when you were with AJ Hinch?
4: You know, uh, they're different. They're both great. I learned a lot from both, you know, from AJ and from Dusty. Obviously Doss has been in the game a little longer. So he's he'll be in the Hall of Fame, you know, as soon mm-hmm. as he decides to go home. He, you know, I know everybody likes to win, but he's very into the game. He worries about you and you know, he just of course he wants you to go at that and do good as a team, but also as he cares about you as a human being too. So he's very uh emotional about it and you know, we appreciate that.
3: Yeah, and as as a follow up to that, you said like they're both different. Like, what do you think the biggest differences are between the two?
4: Uh, Just you know, personality. Just like you know, just like you and I are different. They're different too, and the way they they manage. You know, I'll say it's pretty similar, but they have their their unique stuff, and they're both great. I think AJ is a great manager, and he'd be uh, he's gonna have a long career too, just like uh, Dusty had it.
2: Now, you've been to so many playoff series and gone on so many World Series runs with this Astros team at this point. Do you have a favorite playoff or World Series run or a favorite moment? Or is it just when you climb the mountain at the end, you're like, hey, we got that ring?
4: Yeah, no, I think last year, uh Paul Tucker getting the fly ball to, to win it all is my recently uh, favorite moment. So... Uh, winning our series is hard we all know that and the fact that we did it last year again was just amazing
3: yeah and i'm I'm curious for you uh do you or any of your teammates have any like superstition traditions uh, i've heard of other players that have had some i'm curious if you or any of your teammates do
4: you know i think we all uh, we all are a little bit superstition uh, some more than others but uh, i think we you know most of the baseball players have that on them, so like using the same battle, using the same clothes that you wear the day before, or playing the same songs, eating the same thing when you're playing good, so stuff like that
3: yeah and and another question for you is that you've you've been in Houston for a really, really long time, and I'm curious like you were there. From when it was not so good and now you've been there when it's been really good. When exactly did you feel this, the tide start to turn and know that it could end up being like a really good team here?
4: Yeah, I think 2015 when we make our first playoff, you know, when we got Carlos Correa, George Springer, Lance McCullers. And then you really, you know, realized that, okay, this thing is becoming really good with all these good young guys coming from minor league.
3: Yeah. And could you have ever envisioned anything quite like this, like I mean, to this degree of success?
4: Uh, it's hard to, to you know, think about it when, you know, 2011, 12 or 13 that would be this good as we are right now. But, you know, we all happy and I think the team deserve what is happening because, you know, we've been putting a lot of effort every day to become, you know, the team we are right now
2: it's hard to believe that your home stadium used to be the one with a giant hill in center field. And now, you know, now it's now you're known for playoff success and glory. Um, we can close on this Jose. We appreciate you joining us so much. Um, you're passing a lot of key numbers. So I I feel like I have to talk baseball history, You're past 2000 hits. Now, uh, how often do you think about, you know, 3000 that next step do you think about the hall of fame at all is that the way that you view your career now
4: uh i think you know hall of fame or 3000 is you know things that you think about when you're about to retire and i still you know want to play some more baseball so i haven't really taken the time to think about it so i'm going one game
2: at a time one hit and see what happens well, Jose, you are a stone-cold killer at the plate. Uh, we can't wait to try a stone-cold Two Hoots hard iced tea. We appreciate you dropping by. Uh, and I also just feel like I have to let you know that the day you won the World Series last year, your favorite memory, that was also my wedding day. So we yeah. shared that day. We both, we both got a ring that day. And uh, you're invited to the one-year anniversary party. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Jose. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Jose Altuve, uh, his favorite day was certainly one of my favorite days as well. Does not think that he's close to wrapping it up. But Robert, pretty importantly, has not had extension conversations in Houston and didn't dance around that either. Made it very clear he was just going to give us a nope. So I thought that was a – if if any aggregators are listening, I, I recommend aggregating that.
3: Yeah. I recommend aggregating that too. And I'm going to have something going up on fan sided here in a little bit, but I thought it was interesting that he was so like stern about it. And especially the fact that um, there was like Dana Brown even said on the record, the Astros general manager that they were like, that they were interested in doing an extension that they had had conversations with them. He even said that on the record and Altuve kind of refuted that. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what, where exactly it heads. Um, but um, and also Altuve's agent is Scott Boris, and we all know that he does not do or do extensions before free agency. But I would imagine that Altuve wants to stay in Houston and probably end his career in Houston as well. Favorite
2: road ballpark though, Fenway Park. So.
3: I'm telling you, you, can you imagine that
2: it's, it's, I mean, that's a scary fit. So, uh, you know, if if we're talking, uh, like, if we're talking making bets on Altuve's future, uh, reminder that bet three, six, five is the official sponsor of this episode. And the promo code is right there on the screen. Baseball in, if you want to get your questions in for our next guests, The Discord is the best way to go about it. We're there all day, every day. So if you don't want to ask in the live stream, come join the Discord, become a YouTube member, and find us there. And if we are talking about horrible outcomes for the New York Yankees, Altuve going to the Boston Red Sox, maybe that's number one. But losing hotshot rookie Jason Dominguez to a torn UCL over the weekend with really no inciting incident is certainly up there on the list. Just sort of complained of some nagging elbow pain scratch from Sunday's lineup. Then, Oh, whoops. It's actually a torn UCL. Now he needs Tommy John surgery. Good news. And it's crazy that this is good news, but the good news is that they, they intend to do it. They're not going to rehab. He said, you know, next step, getting the surgery quickly, getting back on the field. That would indicate he, we don't know if he's a freak like Bryce Harper who got back and was hitting and on the field in five months. But 20 year old getting the surgery is different from a 30 year old getting it. Position player is different from a pitcher. It might be a little while before he's in center field again, but seeing some of these nine and 10 month timelines, it does feel likely that he is batting and DHing in organized games sooner than that, you would think.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. And like, and the good news for, um, for the Yankees is like, as you said, he's, he's 20 years old. We're not talking about a player who's in his thirties or older. Um, so he's going to, he's going to be able to bounce back. No problem. And I can't see this having any impact on him whatsoever um, throughout his entire career. And the good news for them, even in the short term is uh, like, this year is kind of a, a lost year for the organization. They called him up, which was basically going to end up being like a uh, an early spring training or a late spring training or however you want to look at it and get him at bats in September, get him at bats in October. Um or not October, but um but yeah, it's uh, like this was just to get an early look at him. And um he's gonna end up being back early next year. He's only gonna miss a limited amount of game action. Um so this is not gonna have really any effect on him in the short term or on the short term it is, but long term he's gonna end up being perfectly fine. And um I don't think the Yankees have anything to worry about there. And from what I gather, there's not very much organizational concern there either.
2: Yeah, it like look, they called him up so that you could see what he could do. You saw it. It was a pretty incredible eight game cameo. It's a huge bummer, but technically if you had to stomach this at some point, you'd want to do it in the middle of a lost season so that you can take care of him in the off season. Yeah. Uh you you know, you wish it was August maybe, but you're also thankful that he got those eight games under his belt, set, you know, equaled Mickey Mantle, hit some very memorable home runs proved he could be a part of this franchise's fabric, and now he'll get this taken care of and should be returning uh, fairly early into next season, you know, sometime in the first half. It is insane, though, that this is now Glaber Torres, Didi Gregorius, Aaron Hicks, and Jason Dominguez as Yankees position player Tommy Johns since 2017. That's a weird, that's a weird pattern.
3: Yeah. Cause how many players have had like position players have had Tommy John surgeries or torn UCLs? It's, I mean, few and far between. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to have Otani who's going to have a UCL surgery at some point. Uh, Bryce Harper. I mean, there's a limited amount of other players as well. Um, and the fact that three of them have come from New York, I can't imagine it's anything that they're doing. I got to imagine it's coincidence, but that's a, at the same time, that's a pretty weird coincidence.
2: Yeah. It's what I would call probably nothing, but obviously too many of that. Um, exactly. Right before we wrap, Brian Cashman working on the offseason It's going to be tough because you can't pencil Dominguez into opening day anymore. He's going to miss some time. You're going to have to get yourself a serious center fielder. He was in Japan this weekend, uh, old timers day at Yankee Stadium. You thought maybe you'd see him and No, he was actually in the behind-home plate section of Yoshinobu Yamamoto's no-hitter. A Yahoo Sports article that came out afterwards indicated the Yankees plan to bid more than they bid for Masahiro Tanaka services for Yamamoto. That doesn't mean all that much. You have to beat the market from 2014 if you want to have a chance. That (laughs) does does not mean he's going to the New York Yankees, but it does seem like Brian Cashman and company are not bluffing. What do you anticipate his market looks like this offseason?
3: It is going to be quite extensive. And that the contract is it, it, it's gonna I would imagine it's gonna be more than nine figures and it is gonna be um a very it's gonna be a vast market and there's gonna be plenty of pitching needing teams that are gonna be involved in this. And I will say that the fact that Cashman was there speaks volumes to the Yankees' interest because if they were not interested, if they were had limited interest, I don't think Cashman would have been there. And the fact that the general manager was there, I think, says a lot um, about what their offseason plans are. I also think it might say something about his job status going into the winter as well. Um, and from what I've gathered and talking to uh, some few folks that are that are overseas, Cashman is one of a few Yankees high end evaluators that have been scouting Yamamoto. Um, so I think they're gonna they're doing extensive homework on him. And I think they're going to end up being one of the prime suitors for him in the off season and how high that contract eventually goes. I don't necessarily know, but it is going to be, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be very expensive. And um, I think a team that misses out on, on Shohei Otani could end up becoming quite aggressive here. That is, I, I think that's something to watch.
2: I can't wait any bit for of reason. intrigue. Yeah. Any bit of intrigue is is good for me this offseason so I can forget about the Dominguez angle. It seems like Brian Cashman's not going anywhere, but Jose Altuve might be. Stay tuned this offseason and beyond. Keep tuning into the Baseball Insiders where we will try to scoop these things so that you get them here first. We are live every Monday, every Thursday at 3.30 Eastern. I will be out this particular Thursday, but Robert Murray will be here live breaking down scoops crushing it as always doing it without me like I know he can we should have something special for you cooked up uh you can find us on the social media handles listed below on Twitter or in the Discord between episodes Robert this was a this was a big one and I think we uh understood the assignment
3: oh we understood the assignment we had Jose freaking Altuve on the podcast my god we absolutely freaking love to see it but Um, Great work by you, Hunter Armour, and Joanne for putting this all together. We appreciate you guys. Everybody who tuned in and watched us today, appreciate you. Go, Birds. See you Thursday. Adam, I'll see you next week, Monday.
2: I will be back ready and refreshed. Thanks to Hunter, Joanne, the bookers, the editors, the producers, Sean, everyone who's ever interacted with us on this show. It's you that we do this for. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll have plenty more for you coming up for the rest of the season and into the offseason and winter meetings. Eyeball emojis, certainly for me. Um, oh,
3: me too. We got, We'll have plenty of scoops coming this off season. I'll just. I've, I've laid the groundwork. It is going to be a very, very, very good off season.
2: Yeah, might be a wasted Yankee season. Certainly not a wasted off season for either of us. And I am getting a lot of life from thinking about what's on the horizon rather than what's currently happening. No thanks to the baseball on the field. Thanks to the upcoming off season. We will see everybody. Robert will be here on Thursday, three 30 Eastern. I'll be back next week. Until then find us in the discord. Goodbye, everybody. Y'all are the best. Yes, you are. Thank you everybody.